Hi, I'm Arlene McIntyre, Creative Director at Ventura Design, and you're listening to Shut the Front Door, a lighthearted podcast that will bring you through the front door and into the homes of influential and interesting people. Home for me is one of the most important things in my life. My career has fortunately given me the opportunity to work closely with people and to help them create a home they will cherish forever. Today on Shut the Front Door, we are delighted to be joined by Mary Lou McDonald TD, leader of Sinn Féin and TD for the Dublin Central constituency, something she is most proud of. She has a strong reputation for hard work and championing the needs of her constituency, both locally and nationally. Educated in Trinity College Dublin, the University of Limerick and Dublin City University, she studied English literature, European integration studies and human resource management. She previously worked as a consultant for the Irish Productivity Centre, a researcher for the Institute of European Affairs and a trainer in the trade union sponsored partnership unit of the Educational and Training Services Trust. Following Michal Martin's appointment as Taoiseach in June 2020, after the formation of Fianna Fáil, Green Party and Fianna Gael Coalition, Mary Lou became the first ever woman to occupy the position as leader of the opposition. Married to Martin and mother to Isolt and Jared, Deputy Mary Lou MacDonald, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me today about all things home. Welcome to Shut the Front Door. Thank you so much, Arlene, and I am delighted to be with you, but with the proviso that you have to call me Mary Lou and not Deputy MacDonald. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a deal. That's a deal because it's a mouthful, but that's a deal. So where are you right now? I'm trying to imagine where you are and where we're having this podcast today. Okay, so I am sitting in the my office in my house. Okay. Um, so this is kind of, this Arlene is my space. To be honest with you, it's gotten much more use over the last two years than I could ever possibly have imagined because, you, you know, my work and my job means that I am on the go-go um, all of the time and I'm out and about and running here and running there and traversing the country and sometimes um, further afield. But obviously because of COVID and so on, like everyone else, we had to change our arrangements. So I've been doing a, a much greater amount of work from home than I could ever have envisaged. So this office has got a lot of work. And I have to tell you, you can't see it, thankfully, <laughs> but I have a bit of spring cleaning to do. I'm just going to I'm just going to say it out straight to you. There's going to put it out there. I, yeah. yeah. It looks like you've got a lot going on. You're you're a busy lady. Yes, and I have you, you might I have a, a picture of uh Constance Markievicz, the countess on my wall. Mm-hmm. I have James Connolly. I have a great uh, original poster of uh, Nelson Mandela, an election poster from the that election when he became the the uh, the president of South Africa Very cool. um, of all sort, sorts of memorabilia. And the problem is that I'm I'm very good at keeping things, if you know what I mean. Mm. I, my husband says I'm a hoarder, but I'm not a hoarder, Arlene. I am not. I'm just a person who looks after my things. And I found a moment to say goodbye. You're a collector. <laughs> I'm actually a bit of a hoarder too, but I like to call it call it that I'm a collector really that's a much better word yes exactly so I'd love to chat with you about your first ever memories of home can you share some of those with me well I I suppose at my first one of my first memories of home and of as a small child is uh having my breakfast outdoors with my mother 
I'm a great woman for it. And this has stood to me, by the way, in this uh, pandemic as well, for eating al fresco, even though we don't really have the weather here for it, let's face it. But um, when I was when I was small, my mom used to bring out um, a little table and chairs and she'd boil me an egg and she'd bring out, and I can still feel the kind of the, the May or June sunshine on my little self sitting down and eating my boiled egg outside with my mother. And to this day, um, being outside and eating outside is one of my prime pleasures. Love it. And I think it's because I have that kind of association of just that moment with me and my mother. That's so sweet. And do you come from a very big family? Do you have uh, brothers and sisters? I do know there's four of us. I mean, we're not we're not a, a, a huge family. You know, in Irish terms, big families mean like six or seven plus. You know? yeah. No, no, there's four of us. But, to, you know, we'd be fairly... We'd be fairly close. And my mum raised us uh, on her own. So we're, we're very, we're very tight, uh, tight with her. I mean, my, my other memory of home is is um, going to Tipperary where my mother, which is my mother's original home place. She's from Tipperary and we used to go there every summer. And I it, I have very strong memories of, you know, finishing school, the excitement of getting ready on the train, on the way down and then with my grandmother Molly and on the farm and just the freedom to kind yeah. of roam that uh, that that you have in rural Ireland that city kids just don't have. So we kind of, in a sense, I guess, managed to get the best of both, you know, being proud dubs in, in the city, but then having that outlet into the countryside was great. Definitely the best of both worlds. They're super memories. And what was the style like of your family home? Can you remember much about that? Um, well, I mean, style <laughs> was not my mother's primary consideration. Uh, functional. My my mom, we we grew up in a flat, so we didn't live in a in a you know a semi D or kind of that 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 sort of vibe. But my mom always had it nice, you know. It was small, but um, in a very old building, a period building. So uh, very nice, but uh, I, I I just think in those days, and I'm I'm traveling back in time now and seeing it maybe through my mother's eyes now that I'm a, a mother myself. I think it was just a case of having things warm, having things comfortable, but certainly she wouldn't have been doing that uh, feng shui or you know having inter- interior decor uh, consultation. Well, single mom. Four kids. I mean, that's pretty hands-on. So she was a busy lady. Yeah, so she needed to get the basics right for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. A good provider. But one of the things, just as I think of it, Arlene, that I don't have in my own uh, home, and which was a a cause of some controversy with, with my husband, is um, my, my mother and my my home where I grew up. We had a, a an open fire, which I think was the set piece of our of our home. But in, in our own house now, we don't have, we have gas. We, we don't have an open fire. Um, and I always feel, I always feel to this day that like I miss that. I love an open fire. Yeah. Yeah. So you like the warmth. You like the, the open fire, the sunshine, eating al fresco. Yeah. yeah. Anything warm. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. How lovely. And so you grew up in Rathgar. Yeah. So um, is there anything like any small piece of nature? Is there anything that you that has stayed with you in your home to this day from your childhood? 
Yes, um, but it's not from Rathgar. Again, it's from it's from Tip. Um, I have a mirror in my home that I acquired from my grandmother, Molly. And she, in turn, had acquired from my grandfather's uh, family, the Kylies in the Glen. They lived in a house called Stream Hill. And this, uh, this uh, mirror hung in, in their family home for, uh, I don't know how long, certainly a generation or two. So um, Molly acquired the the mirror, and then I I I I inherited it, so to speak, uh, from her. So that's now actually in my home here in Cabra, and it's it's strange. Mirrors are strange because you look into them and you wonder, you know, my God, you know, who else has looked in here? Who else had their image reflected back at them? So it's it's a really nice. No, it's not expensive or anything but it's a really really nice um piece and i love it because it is such a direct connection with my mother's home place and with my grandmother molly and and with uh, the kylie family who were uh relatives of ours and and the whole lot so yeah that's that that's the piece that i have i so agree with you on the mirrors that's really interesting because last week i had a site meeting and we had to visit this very old house and the original mirrors were in the house and they were all antiqued. Oh, amazing. But just like you described, I was looking in it thinking, how many people have looked into this mirror? It's so interesting. Yeah. If mirrors could talk. Yeah, for sure. And so tell me about your teenage bedroom. What posters did you have on your walls? Okay, so the main the main thing to understand is that it was very untidy. <laughs> <laughs> The constant refrain, and we're I've teenage children now myself. So when I hear myself saying, "Clean your room," you know, this room is the tip. It's a disgrace. There's very definite echoes of. I I guess it's karma, isn't it? That it gets (laughs) in the end. So I shared a bedroom with my sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, my younger sister and um, who did we have? Oh, I mean, just about everyone. I loved Abba, um, but we would have had like every everything from like Duran Duran, Spando, Ballet. It would it just depended on kind of the the moment um, in time. But I kind of went through a phase of that, um, and then I would have stopped. I wasn't I wasn't a, a, a prolific collector of posters or I did my room didn't ever become a shrine to one particular person like I had friends who had either a, a Simon Le Bon or a John Taylor <laughs> I remember both I remember it's a big debate who was you know who was cuter and who was better and who was cooler yeah and it was like you know almost like an arms race around who could have the most posters of these guys I wasn't in that category but yeah, we 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 had uh, all of that, and then lots of books. Like every kid, you your your bedroom was to sleep in, but also to try and get your homework done in and study at times and do school projects. I remember making a cran oak uh, in my bedroom, and literally the muck that I brought in. I was in a creative phase, so I remember distinctly throwing, you know, to get the effect that kind of yeah. outdoor effect. I had to bring the outdoors indoors and those muck <laughs> and I can tell you I got I got a right telling off for that. Was your mom tough? Was she a tough cookie? My mother is a very tough cookie. She doesn't clear five foot, but she is formidable. Love um, it. 
but she's tough in the right ways. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess when when we were growing up, we would have thought that, um, you know, our mother was, you know, quite disciplined and quite strict. And, you know, we had rules. Mm-hmm. We had to respect them. And if we didn't, there would be, you know, there would be a consequence for us. Um, but but I would, I think I would, uh, whatever I would have thought at 12, 13, 14, 16, what I know now is that she was, she was actually a very wise parent. Um, and I think when you're when you're raising a family on your own, I I, I think I imagine that uh, y- you have to be doubly kind of vigilant, like it's double the work, isn't it? It's double yeah. the responsibility. Yeah. So um, and there were four of us. But I know I think she she did a pretty good job. But yeah, she, to this day, by the way, she's not a person to be trifled with. She's very charming, <laughs> very lovely it. woman. But, you know, yeah. she. She can hold her own. Absolutely. She can hold her own. So you don't come from a political family, or do you? Well, yes and no. I mean, no in as much as uh, I don't come from a political dynasty. Like, I I would be the first member of the family to have run for election and to have been elected. So no in that sense. You know, I didn't, I haven't inherited a seat or I didn't, I'm not tied in that way. But 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 yes, I do nonetheless come from a political family. I mean, we growing up, politics would always have been discussed in our house and debated, sometimes in a very heated and animated way. Um, and I would have grown up um, very much with the sense of the world around me and not just like Ireland, but like beyond all of that. So we were always encouraged to think and to take an interest in things and and um, by political tradition, my family is uh, Republican in the in the Irish sense of uh, Republican. And um, so th- I would have had an awareness of, you know, or a, an awareness would have come to me as I kind of grew up around Ireland and the political circumstances here. So, yeah. So, yes, political in that sense, but not not a dynastic run for election, run for public office. No, I, I'm the first to do that. And were you always able to um, uh, fight your own corner as a kid growing up? Were you always an excellent debater? I was a good debater, yeah. I mean, I was I was good. I mean, there, there was others, you know, of my peers who were as good and some of them were probably better. But, you know, I always liked that. I like ideas and I like, I like, I always liked reading. I liked, you know, I, I, I like that, that kind of interaction. And, but beyond that kind of standing up for myself, I mean, it was never kind of, um, or at least I don't think I was, you know, a very um, overly assertive person. I mean, I wasn't shy or I wasn't, but, but I wouldn't have been, you know, the center of attention or I, I'm not that kind of personality. Just, you know, I'm, yes. I'm, actually, I'm, I'm kind of low key in, in, in reality, but um, when it comes to ideas and certainly when it comes to things that I believe in, um, I never had any difficulty in being the one who would be prepared to sort of stand up and be counted. That's, yeah. that's kind of my form as well. So when did your actual passion for politics begin? When did when did that all when did that moment happen for you? I think it was um it was a process really. Um but I remember one occasion um when myself and a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine that I grew up with and I was at university with and so on, I called Mary. 
uh, we went to the mansion house and Jerry Adams was speaking. And I don't know, McGuinness, I think, was there also. But it was the first time that I had seen certainly Jerry. I think it was both of them sort of speak publicly. And I, I just for the first time said to myself, this this actually is the real deal. And, and these people have their act together. And this isn't just politics. You're not just listening to speeches. You're not just listening to a political pitch. This actually this actually can be something big, something revolutionary, something mm-hmm. something so significant. I, I was really, really very, um, very, very energized by that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that decided me that I would get and remain politically active, you know, because there's a lot of people who are very passionate about politics, but it doesn't become their life. They don't become activists, if, if, if you know the distinction that I'm making. And that's fine. I mean, that's I know lots of people who are, you know, incredibly passionate about politics, but they're, they're passionate as participants, but they 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 go about their life, their their civilian life. And then, you know, politics is just part of it. But when you become an activist, I think politics really becomes your whole life nearly, you know, um, because it's it's not it's not simply a job. It's not simply, um, you know, where you go or what you do. It, it kind of defines how you measure your life and um, the, the ambitions and goals that you set for yourself and how you assess, you know, your own success, I suppose, uh, your, your own sense of, uh, of achievement. And it's a strange thing because you assess not simply by things that you've achieved for yourself, but it's about how much have you changed or how much change have you been part of or what role have you played in that? So that was a really inspirational moment for you in the mansion house that day. Well, definitely. And I had, I mean, I I had other moments kind of coming up along the way um, that I kind of politically remember. But if you're asking me about a, a moment of political decision, that was the moment where I decided, actually, you know, this is uh, this is really, really important. What's happening in Ireland now at this moment is really, really significant. And I want to be part of that in whatever way. I mean, I hadn't, um, you know, ambitions at that stage around public office or elections or any of that. I, I just wanted to be part of this thing that I could feel. Yeah, yeah, the the energy. You just felt it. It was like a spark. And did you have a mentor uh, when you were beginning out, starting out in your career? Did you have a mentor? Well, I've had many mentors. I mean, not anybody who officially, you know, had the jacket on with mentor, you know. (laughs) But but yeah, I mean, I I don't know that you um, that you can actually live a life of activism and certainly when you step out then into the public realm and you, you go forward for election and for office without having people to mentor you. And sometimes, you know what, Arlene, you're not even conscious that you're being mentored. It's like a natural yes. dynamic that will emerge with between yourself and people that you admire, people that you respect and people that you trust to for someone to help you and to mentor you. You have to trust them. You, you know, it, it has to be somebody that that um, you believe 
has your best interests at heart and will give you good advice. Yeah. I think you can have several mentors in life. I don't think there is ever one single person that totally inspires you. Like you said, you need to have a, the, the graft and the lessons and the experiences and all those things are really, I think, what brought you to where you are today. Definitely. And I mean, it's um, I think there's a lesson in it, like on both ends, like on, on one end, when you're kind of the the more experienced person, you know, woman of the world. Yes. <laughs> that you bloom into, that you that you have a consciousness of making space for people and allowing opportunities for, for people. And then at the far end of the pipe, when you're younger and, you know, eager to learn and coming along, that you actually take those opportunities and you don't feel kind of you don't uh, undermine your own confidence or scare your your own self off that you actually have just the just the bravery to say I'm going to try yeah I'm, I'm going to be there I'm going to be in the room like when when I was uh, quite early on in my career I would have had the experience of being part of say negotiating delegations you know on really high wire really important high level politics and it, it's only it was years after that I actually fully appreciate how much I learned from just being part of that dynamic, part of that system, watching, listening, understanding, engagement, nuance, when to push, when not, when to, you know, hugely important things. So I've, I, I've been very, very lucky um, to have lots of mentors in my life. And I mean, to this day, I still rely on people that I respect and trust. I, I rely on their wisdom, sometimes on their criticism, you know, to, yeah. to, to kind of keep, to keep you right. And I think, um, I, I think that's a good thing. I think if I were to ever dispense advice, what it was as limited as it might be, um, I would say one word to people, listen, just listen to what people are saying to you. You know, that, that's been my that's been my my big insight into the world as we know it, Arlene, so far. <laughs> but it's really such simple advice, but it's it's the best advice just to slow down and really listen to what people are saying. And I think as well as that, that you need a good measure of determination. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think you possibly were very determined as well as listening very well and having all those wonderful experiences that led you to where you are today. Well, yeah. And um, I, I mean, you don't get involved in this life uh, lightly. Like, you know, there, there are more straightforward ways to earn your living, you know, even if you yeah. have an interest in politics. So, yeah, I mean, you need a level of determination and you need to, to, to learn resilience as well, because you're going to have great days. You're going to have terrible days. You will have the pinnacle of success. You will have the depths of like underperformance or non-performance or failure. Let's use that word. And you have to be able to, uh, as Kipling would say, you know, you have to meet both of those. Yeah. And you have to be able to, you have to be able to navigate that. So mm -hmm. I think it's actually th this political activism and, and, and running for office and being like in the public eye in this way is probably... A, a very good way to really learn, really, really learn that success and failure, you know, they come, they go, they ebb, they flow. And you have to be able not to lose the run of yourself on the one hand, 
but also not to go so low that, oh, oh, woe is me, all is lost. All is not lost. Politics is the art of the possible. Life is the art of the possible. So you forge on. So I, I certainly, I've learned that lesson and I, I had to learn that lesson because I've had those those highs and lows. And you know what? I wouldn't change any of them. In retrospect, you, like you enjoy every single one of them, you know? So true. As my mom would always say to me, the wheel keeps turning. Your mom is very wise. Yeah. <laughs> and just ride that wave. Yeah. Um, so Mary Lou, you were one of the first high profile people in Ireland to speak out about COVID-19 and, and the infection. So how has this been since for you? Well, well, I mean, Fine. I mean, I, I, I'm great. I, I, I feel very, very well. I, I don't believe I, I'm suffering from what they call long COVID. Thank goodness. I am so conscious of so many people who not alone were sick, but who continue to be sick and to suffer in that way. Um, and my heart goes out to them. When I got infected, and this was back at sort of the very early phases of this public health emergency, I I got infected, I got sick, I got, you know, I really quite sick. It, it knocked me for, for six, um, but I recovered. Um, in truth, it took me a while. I, I now know it took me really a year, truthfully, really? to really get myself, oh yeah, yeah, to really feel that I had gotten back on track. And I mean, the only, the, the positive thing that I took from it was I decided in the midst of lockdown and having been sick that um, I would pay myself a bit more attention and put a bit more of an emphasis on self-care. So I vowed, you know, like Scarlett O'Hara when she lifts the sun and says, I swear, I did a moment like that, except not nearly as glamorous or dramatic. <laughs> and said to myself, Every day has to have an hour for yourself. Nice. So what I do with my hour is I go out and I walk. Um, and I mean, I, I do that every day. I'm saying every day. There will be the odd day where something happens and I get knocked up. But the rule, the exception proves the rule. And the rule is every day has an hour for myself. And I'm really feeling the benefits of that. And it is my intention that that is a rule that I will live by from here on in. Because it, it's only it, it, that, that getting that uh, virus was the first time that I had really been sick. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm, think, you know, touch wood, I'm very healthy. I've never, um, but that, that spooked me. That stopped me in my tracks. And my God, my heart goes out. People were much, much sicker than me, Arlene. And people died with this thing and people buried loved ones. And it was just so, so hard for people. And I feel incredibly lucky that I got, you know, in the scheme of things, just a, a mild brush with the awfulness that is this COVID. For sure. So now you you gift yourself that power hour every day, no matter where you are. You give that, is there a set time of the day or is it just when you get that moment? It can be just when I get the time. My preference always is first thing in the morning. Yeah, That's my preference. I love that. I think you can... You can reflect, you can mm -hmm. figure things out, you can, there's nothing like, um, uh, my, my sister always says to me, and I think she's, she, she may be right, she says, fresh air doesn't solve everything, but it solves about 90% of the world. <laughs> <laughs> so true. That and avocados. <laughs> 
It's so true, though. I think it's a really great time to kind of like detox your mind for the day and see what falls out that you know is a priority for the day that's ahead. Yeah, yeah. Really focuses and sharpens your mind. Yeah, I'm all about that. Love, love morning walks too. And so, do you feel that your surroundings can bring about a feeling of contentment into your daily life? Definitely, and uh, I know even um, you know I visit a lot of places. You know, I've I've the great privilege of visiting, you know, being in people's homes, which is the greatest privilege of all. I know people, a lot of people say, oh, people are cynical about politics and politics, and they are. And by the way, very often rightly so, let me say that. But but also um, the other reality is that people share an awful lot with uh, political people like me. Like you really get access into people's lives, into mm-hmm. their homes. And you, you get to meet the most incredible range of people in all sorts of different settings. And I, I believe when you go in somewhere, you get a feel. You can actually feel a, an atmosphere or you can feel a vibe in, a, in, in, in different uh, places. And yes, I think it makes an enormous difference. And I think our public buildings, for example, or places where we you know, we dispense services or where people come for appointments or particularly if people are in difficulties, you know, the setting that you come into makes a huge, it makes you feel either valued and significant or not valued and insignificant. I think it's a very powerful thing. Yeah. So you can feel it like you can nearly feel the energy in the room when you enter. Oh, yeah. You can feel good vibrations and and good karma and equally you can feel the bad stuff as well yeah very definitely oh gosh and um, do you find managing constituents expectations challenging for you well look it can be but the truth is people are very reasonable and you know what I, i spoke about resilience a little bit earlier on my god people are brilliant People are amazing, have the most amazing stories. People come through the most amazing of experiences. Sometimes, I mean, I've met people and I've wondered how they get out of bed in the morning and put one foot in front of the other because everything in their life may have gone wrong all at once, you know, and they travel on, journey on, you know, get to grips with it, get ahead of it, or they suffer and they fall, but they, you know, they're trying to pick themselves back up. And equally, people experience the most incredible opportunities and joy. And I suppose everyone's life is a mixture of those two things. But people are are amazing in themselves. And the expectations generally that people come to public representatives with are actually quite modest. Like, the, you know, it can be that... They need a medical appointment or it can be that they need a home or it could be that they're struggling with something. But in the bigger scheme of things, you know, um, they're not people aren't looking for the world. People are looking just for a bit of support and a fair chance. And then in the wider politics, people are looking now in particular for change and they're looking for hope and they're looking for a credible plan not for some kind of, you know, fairy tale Disney world, but for for a world and a life that can be better. Because I think people know that having a decent standard of living and having the basics right is something that everybody can can fairly expect. So, so no is the answer, I guess, to that. Um, because uh, I don't go around, despite what our critics would say about Sinn Féin and magic money trees. Now, that's all just political propaganda. I mean... I, I'm very realistic with people. What, what we're setting out in our political program is about getting the basics right. 
So, and that, that's the expectation that we set for people. And what part of your job, if, it, if that's what, how I can refer to it, do you enjoy the most? Like what part of the process do you really enjoy the most? I suppose for me, the, the most enjoyable part of the work is being out and about on the ground with people. I love that. Um, firstly, because I love people and I like meeting people and I'm endlessly fascinated by people. I think they're gas and, you know, <laughs> even people are kind of hostile to your politics, don't you? It just it's fascinating the way people think and mm. how they tell their story and how they see the world is, is, is just brilliant. I love that. And, and, and secondly, because it's the most accurate barometer, it's the best way of finding out, is the system getting things right? Because if, if any line of policy or legislation isn't translating properly on the ground, well, then Houston, we have a problem and you have to go back to the drawing board. So you're getting out into the field and you're really establishing is politics, is the system working for this person, for this community, for yes or no? And I think that's a really important thing. It keeps you in check. I mean, I like Parliament, don't get me wrong. I like the doll. I like, you know, making the speeches. I like I like that interaction. I love the committee work. I, I, don't, I don't do it now, but when I was uh, on committees, I loved that work. I really, really enjoyed it. You can really, you, you can get really stuck in. I was on the public accounts committee and it was just a, a great committee to be part of. I learned lots from it. So I, I love all that piece of it, but but being out and, and about on the ground is ultimately what this is for me, This what this is all about. I was having a chat with some of my colleagues in the office about my podcast with you today. And they were saying, oh, you should ask her this and you should ask her that. But the two questions that really everyone came back to me with were that they absolutely love watching you in a debate and how everyone agrees collectively that you're just amazing. You're really, really, you're just absolutely fantastic to watch in a debate. And um, the question was, do you really enjoy debating? And you just answered that. You said you do. And the second one was, what color or shade of red lipstick do you wear? Because it's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I wish, I wish I could give, you know, an, an whichever one I lay my hands on, I've got about 60 different versions of, I love all red lipsticks. So some, I, I also like orange as well. Yeah. It's great just hate on you. I, I, I like orange as well, but it doesn't work as well. But yeah, you can't beat a red lip. And do you feel that kind of empowers you? Do you feel that that kind of gives you confidence? Well, I suppose. I mean, look, when you're when you're going on television and, you know, there's a camera on you, you know, the half the nation's looking at you. One of the lessons I learned very early on is that uh, your hair matters. I remember um, <laughs> getting up very early one morning and my, my kids were literally babies. So I was creeping out at all hours to go and do a debate. I think it was on Ireland AM, like all hours of the morning on a European treaty. And we I went out and I believe acquitted myself. And I thought I had won the debate. Knocked your man around, the, the government fell around, the studio delighted with life, went back to my home community in Cabra. And for the whole day, I answered, I was being told off because my hair was not right. <laughs> <laughs> the important things in life. Television is the visual media, Marlene. So um, if your hair is not right, they're not going to hear what you're saying. So I know. It's a distraction then. This is the problem. So they're actually not listening to you. Well, they're looking at your amazing red lipstick and then your hair. 
Well, at least, no, I think if you have the hair right and if people say, oh, yeah, that's not, if you were wearing the wrong lipstick is where you'd be in difficulty. So what in the name of Christ is she wearing that lipstick for? That's awful looking on her. And I mean, I'm sure this happens to, to everyone and it probably happens to men, maybe, <laughs> but, but it's certainly for women. And you have to be conscious that not to offer up a distraction if you if you can. So, it, but, but yeah, I, like, I like I just like red lipstick. It's just I always have just so. a winner on you. It just really is. It's your signature look. And like it's just another chore, if you like, that, that women, I think, have to think about is what they're going to wear. And and uh, their grooming and all of that. Do you find that's just something that you could live yeah. without, but that you have to you have to consider, obviously? Well, you have to. I mean, look how I look at it. And I, I wouldn't be naturally a person who would be, you know, a fashionista or hugely bothered, you know, like if I if I was in a different walk of life, um, I'd still have the red lipstick. But I, I, I'm not sure that I would be terribly bothered you know, I'm, I don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, my God, how do I look? That's that's not that's not my that's not my central preoccupation. But I look at it this way. If if you are if you are presenting yourself to do very important work for people, I think there is a fair expectation that you present yourself in a way that says I am serious about doing this job and doing it well for you. I, I think that's important. Now, other people take a different view and say it doesn't matter if you show up in jeans or if you and that's OK. That's therapy. I, I, I hear that. But that's not how I see it. For me, it's it's a matter of respect uh, that I am showing to the people that I represent, that I take the time to make sure that I have at least the basics right so that I say to them, I'm serious. I'm representing you. I respect you. And therefore, I present myself in this way that that's. That's kind of my my logic around it. Yeah, definitely. And it, it just kind of shows that you have a sense of pride about, about exactly the people you're representing. And when you meet new people, what strikes you first initially about them? Is there a certain, do you have like an ability to read people very quickly or are there certain things you look out for when you meet somebody new? Um, not, not specifically. I think you can certainly, um, in the first moments that you encounter people, you can kind of read actually quite quite a lot but you're not always accurate on on your first take mm. you know somebody who is quite reserved or or shy you you could take to be standoffish and rude when when in fact that's not the case somebody who you know really wants to talk about a lot of things and just might come across as a little bit indifferent. People are, it, it depends the context that you meet uh, people in. But what I've always found is um, if you take your time and if you give it a bit of time, you people are very open. Um, and uh, I always say to our team, you know, particularly now at, at this stage of our development, because as you know, we hope at some stage, if we're given the opportunity uh, that we would have a chance to be in government. But I've I've said to our whole team, if you want to know something, just go out and ask people because people will tell you. <laughs> you know, there's no problem with people sharing things uh, with you. But, yeah, there's not there, there's not particular things that I that that, that I particularly uh, look for. I, I love meeting people who um, who have uh, a very strong view about you. I always find that quite amazing, and including sometimes, and it's happened to me before, quite a negative view of you. And then when they meet you and they kind of discovered that actually maybe that wasn't, that they kind of gotten the wrong end of the stick. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I always think that's good because, I mean, I know in, in public life, there were people that I would have had perceptions of from a distance, good or bad. And then you meet the person, you discover actually that was completely wrong. That was yeah. you at a distance, but not accurate when you got up close. Yeah, exactly. It's really great to have those moments just to, to sure, yeah. yeah, to work through that. And But you do have a twinkle in your eye. So there is that little devilment in you. And I think that's probably what I find most entertaining is uh, how you can just, you're just this, you're just an excellent uh, communicator and a debater and you wear a killer red lip. So bravo to you. <laughs> um, can I ask you, would you love to get your hands on the interiors of Leinster House? It, would that be something you'd love to give a makeover to? Well, there is one thing that I would do, and that is some of the carpets need to come up. They are smelly. Oh, dear. I, I may have a small nose, but this nose <laughs> is highly efficient. And there are sections of the... Um, of the the Leinster House complex where the carpet needs to come up or or at least it needs to be very much cleaned. I'm not sure if it's because it's an old building, it could be damp, it could but whatever it is, there are parts of the complex where mm-hmm. I take a deep breath and I sketch across very quickly because <laughs> the smell is not good. That is unbelievable. Really? Um, you've asked me a direct question and I'm giving you a direct answer. My Some of my colleagues, are, if, if they get to hear this, will fall around and say, oh God, she's not moaning about that again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the other thing I would say about the interior that, that visitors, and I would encourage people to come and visit. I mean, this is as and when COVID yeah. passes because, uh, you know, you, you t- taxpayers pay for 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 all of this, and this is your very much your your doll. But um, the one thing that will jump out at any visitor is the great and the good, and the portraits are male. To all of the portraits of Tishi are male. All of the you know significant. There is one portrait of 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 all of the the women parliamentarians, and there's the odd woman here and there, but it is overwhelmingly male. So. The one job that we have to do in our time is we need to balance that up. Mm-hmm. So we need we we've we've women now in public life. We we are not there in anything like the numbers that we need to be. That's the reality. Um, and I think all of us have a job to do. The politics and political life isn't for everyone, but there are women who are are would are made for this life. But it's just we're still in a space where. Maybe people still think that politics, power, all of this are kind of male things. And that, and that's not true. Women are brilliant at politics. Yes. Um, and of course, I'm a woman, a progressive woman. I'm an Irish Republic. I'm in a United Ireland. I want lots of, of women like me, but but women of, of all views as, as well. It's just important that we, we balance. So the carpet and the portraits. <laughs> the carpet. And do you see, do you think changes are coming? Can you see that things are evolving and changing? Yeah, for sure. And um, so some people might say that, that perhaps things aren't happening quickly enough. And, and I have some sympathy for that. But I can see the seeds of very, very significant, positive, affirmative change over the next five and 10 years. I, I w- would think, Arlene, if we were having this conversation in 10 years time and we were talking about on this subject we would be reflecting and saying, gosh, look, look how far uh, we came. I just think that there is um, there is now a mood and there is a, a generational shift 
that is long overdue and really, really healthy. And I, ha- I for one, have immense confidence in the generation that's coming after me, coming after us. Great. I, think, I think they are honest. I think they're educated. I think they're broad-minded. I think they look at things now in a way that is fresh and different and grounded. And I, I would feel extremely um, optimistic. And I see it in our own party. I mean, the young people we have and, and some older people joining as well. It's just really interesting how thinking has changed. And I think Ireland's ready now. I think we're ready for a couple of really big leaps uh, forward. And ultimately, all of that has to amount to better lives for all of us, you know, a fairer society, a more open, a more prosperous society, opportunities for people, um, whatever your chosen field. So I'm very excited for that because I know we've come through a couple of tough years and I'm not naive. You know, you can't deliver perfection. We're never going to live in perfection. But I'm really excited for the things that I believe we can get done uh, over the next five and 10 years. That's exciting. And do you think your children will will enter into politics? I don't know. I I, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't discourage them from it uh, if they were if they were interested. But it's interesting when you grow up in like you asked me, did I come from a political house? And I said, well, yeah, but no, well, my kids definitely come from a political house in that we're political people, but obviously I, I'm a, I'm a political figure. So I don't know. I think sometimes when you grow up in that atmosphere, you could either get the bug or you, you say, no way, Jose, and you, you go and pursue something else. So I don't know. But if they did, that would be great. But um, so long as they, you know, are productive, you know, people and find their star and follow it, I as the mother will be very happy with that. And are there any other government buildings that you have visited in your travels that really stood in your mind as being, you know, very impressive buildings? Well, it's it's hard to go beyond um, Capitol Hill um, for for impressive on on two fronts. Firstly, the architecture, the upkeep is just stunning, mm-hmm. and the stories that 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 it, they tell is 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 stunning but also the accessibility of those public buildings you know um for anyone who who hasn't visited you know um congress or you know the house of the, the house of uh, representatives um or the senate i think europeans are a bit taken aback at, at how easy it is to access yeah. the buildings and to access the representatives and I like that. I think it's a very American thing. The mm-hmm. idea that you can access your person, the person who represents you, mm-hmm. your district, your state. Um, so, I mean, I've been in in, in many, many others. Um, all of them, they're all public, very grand, you know, because it's around the prestige of the state and everything, you know. Government, government buildings in Dublin is is wonderful. I mean, Charlie Ho, he gets slated uh, for lots but but he certainly got the government buildings piece uh, right. But but I think I, I think the hill, I think Capitol Hill as as a public infrastructure for me would be kind of would be hard to top. And do you like traveling? Do you enjoy traveling with your work? Is Sometimes, that- yeah. I mean, yeah. But, but bear in mind, some you know, it, it's it's like this old thing. People say, you know. A job with traveling is, oh, my God, that's so fantastic. And that must be great. You're saying, yeah, but you're like, it's the operative word is work. Yeah. <laughs> it's work travel. So you get to see airports, you get a little bit of downtime. But um, 
if you're traveling for work, you know, you, you, you should be, you know, fairly flaked out by, by the time you're, you're coming back. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of the job. I enjoy it. It's not the same as heading off with your family or your friends uh, for a break. But, but yeah, I mean, it adds to the, one of the great things about this, this job and this life is the, the variety. No two days are exactly the same. And that's good. You know, that, that makes it a fairly dynamic. Interesting. Yeah. Very exciting. And where do you love to travel the most with your family? Um, well, we like, uh, we, we, in recent years, we've been obviously holidaying in Ireland. We've had a couple of brilliant holidays in Mayo. Absolutely stunning. Um, but we would travel um, to get sunshine in the summer. So we, we like Spain, um, Italy. Yeah. Um, Generally, those kind of when the kids were growing up, it very much kind of bucket and spade, seaside, you know, relax. We weren't scaling Kilimanjaro or going bungee jumping or doing <laughs> scaling Mount Everest. It was just the holidays were just to recharge our batteries. The kids are a bit bigger now, so we're um, we're kind of a little bit more. We're, we're looking to more exciting fields, and you know, yeah. seeing. We're, we're going to fill in some of those gaps. Um, we're hoping to get to Iceland at some stage, although oh. I had to be convinced. Yeah. Iceland, cold, but we're going. Yeah. I've been yeah. going. So <laughs> the Nights, if you can get them, because it's, yeah, yeah, it's really very, very, like, it's incredible. It is magical if you can get them. And I believe you celebrated your 25th wedding anniversary to Martin last year. Yes. Uh, what ingredients uh, do you think are important for marriage to work? Oh, my God. Not to imagine that there are magic ingredients because there aren't. I cannot give anybody advice on that subject. We're married for 25 years. Like, we've made it. Go us, you know. Um, and it, it, it's, you know, it's like everything. No no relationship is is perfect, but where we like each other. You know, we, we get along, we have generally kind of the same expectations and of, of life. Um, we're both, we both are fairly independent people. So we're not, you know, and we're not attached to each other 24 seven. That would drive me nuts. I, I, I couldn't be married if it was like, it meant, you know, becoming a Siamese twin to somebody. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> But I, honest to God, I, 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 I really don't know. I think you can, I think sometimes you can, you can just get lucky or life can just work out in a particular way or not. But you can only be married to somebody long-term, somebody that you really, really like. I mean, you have to love them, but you really, really do have to like the person that you're married to. That's true. And respect one another and each other's spaces and to encourage each other to have your own interests um, yeah. that's the, the, all those things are probably very important. So what does coming home mean to you? Mm, coming home, um, the bang of the door, the turn of the key, the holler up the stairs. <laughs> I'm home, sometimes to a silent response. <laughs> Putting on the kettle, kicking off my shoes and exhaling and saying, I'm home. And when I close my door, that's it. I'm Mammy. I'm Mary Lou. I'm home. And it's my sanctuary. Oh. And I'm 
I love that. I love that. And are you a neat and tidy, super organized type of person? Or how would you describe your home outside of your office? I go through phases of it. Um, I believe that nobody cleans quite as effectively as me. Now, this leads, you asked me about the long marriage. This has led to some domestic strife because um, when Martin, my other half, cleans, I kind of go, well, you know, it's good. It's, it's not bad. It's <laughs> not as I would do it. So I go through phases. I find it quite therapeutic um, cleaning. So in phases, there are moments where literally it is like laboratory conditions in this house. I have, I'm honest, you know, if you, if you don't move quickly, you get bleached as well. Um, and then if when I'm very, very busy, things can go to hell. And sometimes I go out of my house, you know, not looking left or right because it will stress me to know yeah. that I'm not on top of it. But um, so I, I, I try to kind of, I, I, I try to be that person who's neat and tidy. But you know what? In times when I'm not and when things, look, what are you going to do? I, I, I get to it. Uh, I get to it eventually. I mean, my chief preoccupation now is giving out to my teenage kids about their rooms. <laughs> and do you get time to, to like have friends around? Do you enjoy cooking? I'm trying to imagine how, how you spend your, your private time. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously not recently, but yeah, we like having people around and, you know, we're, we're kind of, um, maybe this is an age thing as, as well, you know, uh, just like good company, a good laugh, you know, a good bottle of red. <laughs> um, so, yeah, oh, no, we love that. We, we love that. I mean, I, I don't get to do nearly uh, enough of of that not just entertaining, but actually getting out and getting time with people just through busyness. But when we get that chance and when we get that time, I love that. And I have great friends. I have a very wide circle of very diverse friends and I really enjoy their company. Yeah. Fantastic. And do you ever get time to read or, or catch up on anything on Netflix? I do again from, from time to time. I mean, there'd be times where I would go, months and I really beyond like watching news broadcasts and watching you know things political related that I, that I wouldn't see anything and then I might have a period where I literally watch Netflix till my eyeballs are nearly <laughs> and I have a colleague who I have to mention in this regard she's a wonderful uh, woman who works with us a younger woman called Anya Downs and she is my Netflix consultant. So she advises me on what I should watch. And she's she's never wrong, you know. So I watch that. I watch that. it down for you. She knows what you like. And then she just kind of drills into it. It's like my quality control filter. <laughs> points you in that direction, you're on you're on to a good thing. So do you like thrillers? Or do you like um, comedy? Like what do you like to watch? All of the above. Love thrillers. Love a good courtroom drama. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then of course a, a good comedy. But I, some of the I have a, a specific kind of taste in comedy. I'm I'm not one for too much slapstick or yeah, and laughter. Yeah, I mean I, I I I like something a little bit more sophisticated. But yeah, of course. And I I'm not you know I'm not a purist. I'm not. It doesn't have to be. Phil Noir or you know it's been highbrow although I like I like that I haven't gotten to see uh, Denzel Washington's Macbeth yet but I, I intend oh, getting sounds to good in the cinema apparently it's the movie of the year and mm-hmm. I love him 
I yeah, think he's, he's fabulous. Stunning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I heard about that as well. So, Marilu, what motivates you? What's your number one driver when you get out of bed in the morning? What is it? Truthfully, every morning when, it, when I wake up, I have a, like a, a grid in my head of tasks that must be done. And that starts everything from getting the kettle on, get the kids out, you know, breakfast, lunches, school, you know. So when I wake up in a practical way each morning, I have a very clear sense of I need to get stuff done. And sometimes the, li- the list can be so lengthy. I'm like, my God, how am I going to get all of that done? Um, so on a day to day, I'm very task orientated. I'm very much get things done, you know, move, keep things moving along. But the bigger um, there, there's a deeper motivation that's not in the front part of my brain, but that that actually drives all of that. And that is, um, you see, I, I really, really believe that there is nothing that we cannot achieve if we're prepared to work hard enough for it. I really believe that. I believe we live in an incredible country and we we have incredible potential here. And not, not for any kind of selfish reason in particular, but I just want the satisfaction of getting things done. That might sound very odd, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, when you move beyond the kind of the political, the kind of the idealism, the ideology, all of which drives yeah. and animates me. But actually, as a human being, the, 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 my form is taking account of all of the above, our dreams, our ambitions, our everything that's wrong, all of the, everything that's right. Just get it done. Yeah, do it. Do it. Yeah. And actually, in my experience of uh, dealing with activists and women in public, I think that's, that's kind of a hallmark woman thing as well. Mm. I think it's probably also a function of being a mother that you have that sense of just get stuff done. The checklist. Yeah. Yeah. And your sense of, um, it's very rewarding actually to get through that checklist. And Mary Lou, this is a, um, an odd question, but maybe it's not, but I like to ask all of my guests this question. Are you a spiritual person? Yes. Um, I am is the short answer. Um, I'm not what they would call a Holy Joe Mm -hmm. to use that expression. Um, I'm not, and I've always been very clear in, in my, I, I operate in the secular sphere. So it's my job to represent and to advance what I believe is best for everyone with, you know, whatever your religious view or not, whatever your de- denomination or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would be, I mean, I, I, I like going to mass. I get great comfort from that. Um, I'm a Catholic but I'm not a dogmatic Catholic. I, I would probably be called a, a term I don't like an a la carte Catholic or a, a cultural Catholic. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I believe in things greater than us. I believe in God. Um, I, I absolutely believe in a kind of a, a wider ethic and morality. And I think it's um, it that that's been important in in my life, the the knowledge and distinction between right and wrong, between dark and light, between, you know, and and that sense of of in a in a good way uh, having a, a responsibility, a social responsibility, also an ethical responsibility, um, to people beyond yourself. I I think those are good. I wouldn't like to live a life that's determined solely by materialism or consumerism or even though, you know, 
stuff is good, you know, and, and, and nice things are nice and, you know, to be comfortable is great. But for me, I will have to have things that are beyond that. Mm-hmm. And has your passion for politics deepened over the years? Yes. And I, I think we'll, we'll deepen further um, because it's, 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 it's like anything, I suppose, the deeper you wade in um, and the more experience that you have and the more uh, you realize how, how much there is to be done, how complex things are. Um, I think the only way that you can, you can do this is to, is to go for it fully. And that means, yeah, you get, you get more and more committed, more and more invested. Um, I'm also conscious though, that everything in life has a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, and you, you have to be very reconciled to the fact that there are beginnings, there are middles and there are ends and that nothing uh, goes on uh, forever. So I'm kind of, I, 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 in my political prime now, that, that won't always be the case. And sometimes people have an idea of politics, they hang on for dear life forever, you know, until you're 90 or I, I won't be doing that. <laughs> um, I, I believe in beginnings. I believe in middles. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's that's interesting. And who has inspired you the most and why? Wow, that's a big, that's a really big question. Um, I mean, in, in my own life, I could cite any number of people, but I would have to cite my mother as somebody who not just inspired me, but who, you know, invigorated me, believed in me, supported me, fed me, clothed me, educated me. So, um and then in, in political life, I mean, uh, countless people, but there are very significant people within my, with my, within my own political party who, who have been very, very inspirational. I mean, Adams and McGuinness, absolutely inspirational. inspirational. And, and in truth, probably it, it will only be when the history books are written that that, that duo will get the credit that they're, that, that they deserve for incredible, just incredible um, achievements. But there are others, Rita O'Hare being one. She's a, a colleague of mine, a woman of great renown. And um, and I'm going to start listing people and I'm going to leave people out, so I will stop. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but the other thing also, Arlene, is you, you meet people who, you know, I, I've met, you know, mothers, fathers with kids, you know, who ha- are on the autism spectrum or who need a scoliosis surgery or who are caring for people. And you just go, oh, my God, this is tough. This is incredible. But it's it's tough, but it's incredible, the, the journeys that people walk. And I find that inspiring. That's like incredible people and just one question for you and I think it's a big one what would you like to be most remembered for I I would hope um in my political career that I will be remembered as part of uh leading the reunification of our country that that's what I would like um to be remembered as somebody who was part of making that incredible journey home, that finishing the democratic journey for Ireland politically. Um, And then as a person, 
I, I would like to be thought of and remembered as a person who was tough, but fair. I think you are both of those things. Well, thank you. <laughs> you are. I think you are. That's fair. Okay, Mary Lou, if you were having a dinner party <laughs> and you could invite only three people, either dead or alive, who would they be? Okay. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to really focus on this. Okay. So I would like Nelson Mandela to be at my dinner party. Fabulous. I would like Agatha Christie to be at my dinner party. Mm. And I would like James Connolly to be at my dinner party. I can only have three, yeah? Well, throw in another one. (laughs) (laughs) And I would like, in two minds between Beth Midler and Doris Day. Can I I invite Beth Midler? Beth Midler. Beth Midler. Yeah, I think she would be a bit of fun. Would be good crack. Yeah. Yeah. I think Doris Day was a a bit of crack as well. I believe she was fun. Yeah. You know, fun-loving type of gal. I think she may have become a bit reclusive later on, but yeah, um, but that's yeah. cheekier. So I think she'd be a better dinner party guest. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's our dinner party, and of course you, Arlene, and me. <laughs> exactly. So, what advice would you give to your younger self? I would advise my younger self to talk to myself more kindly, and I'm saying that because certainly um, when I was younger, uh, and I, I think there is you know, is a chance that you lapse back into it. You can be the most critical person of you can be you. And, you know, sometimes that's okay because you have to have some sense of realism about um, yourself, but we can really, really wreck our own heads and be overly, mm-hmm. overly critical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say to my young, my younger self, talk to yourself, encourage yourself in the same way that you talk and encourage other people just be afford that kindness to yourself as well and where do you see yourself in the next five or even ten years well um i hope that um i will still be in elected office um i hope that i will have the chance to be part of a government for change maybe to lead that government i hope that um i will have helped my children navigate state exams and that they'll be up and at it and pursuing their own their own interests and and their own uh, their own uh, fortunes i hope i'll still be married you know that would be good yes uh, and i hope that um i will have seen and had a hand in some of the the, the big changes and big possibilities that i believe are possible so um, and in five, ten years, you know, a lot, the, a lot of water can go into it. I hope I ha- still have my health. Um, yeah. Number one. Number one. Yeah. Party number one. And that you continue to give yourself that power hour every day. I think that's that's number one. Absolutely, Arlene. Absolutely. And I'm going to ask you what I call the last minute. It's called the quick fire round of questions. Are you oh, ready? I am ready. Okay. Tea or coffee? Tea. Bath or shower? Bath. Text or talk? Text. Red or white wine? Red. City or country living? City. People or places? Mm, People. 
Sin or virtue? Mm, sin. Flats or heels? Flats, sadly. Yeah. Press conference or the doll? Mm, the doll. Modern or classic? Classic. Leo or Miho? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I didn't see that one coming. Let me see. How, how do I get out of this? <laughs> Just say next. Next. Uh, Agatha Christie or Nelson Mandela? Oh, come on. That's not fair. That is really not fair. That is that is a manipulation of, of my sentiments. Okay, I'd have to go for Nelson, obviously. Fantastic. What a what a what a wonderful guest. Thank you very much, Mary Lou, for chatting with me today. You're truly inspirational. And I've enjoyed very, very much enjoyed chatting with you today. So I wish you and your family all the best in the future. Thank you so much, Arlene. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too. Take care.